Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, God Save the Teen. Callum is a teenage Anglophile. He's a junior in high school and wants to go to university in the UK. His older brother, Will, thinks Callum's love of all things British has gone too far. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. Well, I could have been a judge, but I never had the Latin. I never had the Latin for the judging. I never had sufficient of it to get through the rigorous judging exams. They're noted for their rigor. People come staggering out saying, My God, what a rigorous exam. And so I became a miner instead, a coal miner. I managed to get through the mining exams. They're not very rigorous. They only ask one question. They ask, who are you? And I got 75% for that. The trouble with it is people. I'm not saying that you get a load of riffraff down the mine. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we had a load of riffraff down my mine. Very boring conversationalist. Extremely boring. If you were searching for a word to describe the conversation, boring would spring to your lips. If you ever want to hear things like, hello, I found a bit of coal. Have you really? Yes, no doubt about it. This black substance is coal, all right. Jolly good, the very thing we're looking for. Ugh, it's not enough to keep the mind alive, is it? Whoops. Did you notice I suddenly went whoops? It's an impediment I got from being down the mine because one day I was walking along in the dark when I came across the body of a dead pit pony. Whoops! And that's another reason why I couldn't be a judge because I might have been up there all regal, sentencing away. I sentence you to whoops! And you see, the trouble is under English law that would have to stand. So all in all, I'd rather have been a judge than a minor. Okay, Jesse Thorne, you can swear them in. Whoops! Please rise and raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. Yes. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that he isn't a resident of the United States or Britain, but rather the somewhat extra-legal territory of Sealand? Yes. I do. Very well, Judge Hodgman. Uh... I would say, Callum and Will, you may be seated, but I want you to remain standing for that incredible Sealand reference that Jesse Thorne just made. <laughs> that is pretty esoteric. Is that the? Is that like the oil derrick that some dude tried to make into a into a, a sovereign nation? Is that what I'm remembering? By some dude, you mean the king of Sealand? <laughs> yeah. All right, Smarty. What's his name? Um. Okay, so the original king, the founder of Sealand is different from the current king of Sealand, as I uh-huh. understand it. The founder of Sealand is a guy named Bates. Patty Roy Bates? You Perhaps. got it. Patty Roy Bates. Patty Roy Bates has passed on, but his son, uh, his son Michael, is the current king of Sealand. Excuse me, prince of Sealand. Right, it is a principality. It is. It is not. It is not a kingdom. The capital is H.M. Fort Ruffs. It's literally an oil derrick, a floating pontoon base of top two hollow towers, upon which structures have been built that Paddy Roy Bates claims originally to have been a micronation. Ah, <sighs> I'm quoting from Wikipedia. Look it up, everybody. Nice work. If you are from Sealand, you are a Sealander, or you are Sealandic. Thanks for taking the time, Wikipedia, for putting that in.
If you found All your right. own nation, you are definitely a Sealand dick. <laughs> uh, all right, Will and Column, you can you may be seated. Oh, I could just read this. You know, that's the thing. And with the the cultural reference too, I could have read that for an hour. I mean, I could read either the Wiki, Wikipedia page, do a live reading of the Wikipedia page for Sealand, or to read that entire monologue. But I won't because for an immediate summary judgment in either of yours favors. Will or Callum, can you name the piece of culture that I referenced as I entered the courtroom? Will, you will not get it, so give it a shot. Okay. Uh, that sounded like the workings of a British humorist. Uh, so I'm going to guess a British humorist, Stephen Fry. Was it a incorrect. monologue by Stephen incorrect. Fry? In incorrect, sir. Incorrect. Go home in shame. Callum, you, you are the Anglophile of the two brothers. And the reason that I read this was in the hopes that you would understand it and be able to identify the source. If you cannot identify it, you understand that your case uh, basically goes into the loo, as they say. I understand. Can you name the, the author of that? Probably not. The only piece of coal mining fiction that immediately springs to mind for me is uh, the musical Billy Elliot. And I highly doubt that... It is from Billy Elliot, but I'm going to guess that anyway. No, you are totally wrong. <laughs> and, and and you have and you have undone yourself even further as an Anglophile, because a true Anglophile would know there is no end of coal mining fiction references, protest songs. It uh, it's it it runs a a deep and dark vein through the through the cultural consciousness of of England. See uh, all the songs of Billy Bragg. No, you are both wrong. In fact, Will was much closer than Callum. Right. It is the work of a British humorist, uh, but it is a humorist of one generation removed from Stephen Fry. It is the great Peter Cook, Peter Cook, who with uh, Dudley Moore and uh, uh, Alan Bennett and uh, uh, Jonathan Miller uh, composed uh, the Beyond the Fringe sketch show uh, and, uh, and, and ushered in what was called uh, uh, the, the satire boom in, uh, in British comedy, although I think that it's something of a misnomer. And it was profoundly influential on, upon Monty Python and, and of course, on uh, Stephen Fry and, uh, and uh, Hugh Laurie. Uh, and, 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 and now multiple generations of British comics. Peter Cook was considered by the right thinking people of the world to be, uh, the, 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 the most brilliant pure comic mind of the four. Because they were all, because Dudley Moore was very, very funny and became a movie star. Alan Bennett is also an incredibly talented playwright. And Jonathan Miller is also a, a, a physician and an opera director. Too many things these British dudes do. So uh, there you have it. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Everyone's wrong. And we have to hear this case. Um, but, uh, Will, you might be interested to look up uh, Stephen Fry's eulogy of Peter Cook, uh, who died in the early 90s. It's on YouTube, and it's very moving and, and interesting and thought-provoking. All right. Uh, all right. So, Callum. Yes. You wish to be educated in the United Kingdom. Yes. Because of your Anglophilia, 
What I understand is that you are a junior in uh, high school. Correct. Uh, so what? So uh, what would that make your age? I am seventeen. And in, and how how would you represent that in stone? <laughs> in stone, that is uh, exactly two point eight stone. Two point eight stone years. And uh, and Will, you are his older brother. Is that correct? That's correct. And how old are you? I'm uh, three and a half stone years, 24. You're 24? Do you have any other brothers or sisters? Nope. Okay, so it's quite a gap between the two of you guys. Yes. Mind the gap, as they say <laughs> on the tube. <laughs> Look out, oh. here comes Judge Hodgman. I feel I feel the I feel the need to shoot myself in the face with a crossbow after that one. <laughs> Good because uh, handguns are that's illegal. Not even a, that's not even a reference to anything British. That's just a desire to be killed by a crossbow <laughs> for hatred of my own joke. <laughs> uh, okay, and and uh, and you think that Callum should not be educated in the United Kingdom, and you bring the case against your younger brother. Is that not wrong? That is not wrong. Very good. correct. Please, please explain to the court what your problem is with your brother. Um, just relating to this case or in general. <laughs> please, I'll, 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 I'll allow, I'll allow a, 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 a macro case to be made after I hear the micro case. Sure, sure. Well, pertaining to this micro case, uh, Callum has had no experience traveling abroad before this, and I think it would be a little much just to immediately jump into committing yourself to, you know, four or five years uh, in England without having any prior experience of living abroad anywhere or even really dealing with British people of any nature. I don't think Calum knows any British people. Is that true, Calum? Um, yes. That is true. Um, also, another problem with him spending so many years abroad from the outset would be the travel costs, uh, if he would he have, uh, if he wants to visit home, it would be very expensive. Or if I wanted to visit him, it would be very expensive. And I, right, but you know, but will let me interrupt you there. Sure. Uh, my suspicion is Callum wants to go and never come back. Isn't that correct, Callum? You're not going to be traveling back and forth. You want to go and not look back. Pretty much. And where right, do yeah. you where where do you guys live now? Wisconsin. Uh, and why do you hate Wisconsin so much, Callum? Uh, well, I don't specifically hate Wisconsin much. It's pretty cold, and there's not much going on here on the whole. Would uh, be my right. primary beef. I can, I can, I can see, I can see why you would you would love the idea of spending time in rural England because it's so warm and lively, tropical. <laughs> uh, where in Wisconsin are you? I am in Burlington, and my brother lives in Madison. Okay. Oh, you live in 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 Madison, Will? Uh, yeah, I do. The big the big city, the big M, the second biggest yeah. M, I guess, in Wisconsin. Well, I am fond of Wisconsin, Callum. Tell me why you want to leave it behind and go to England to study. Uh, to correct you there, Your Honor, I would like to go to Scotland to study. To Scotland uh, at All the right. University of Edinburgh, and um. I've lived in Wisconsin since the year 2000. I feel I have taken in all of its sights and culture, and it would be good for me at this point to move on from 
the cheesy wilderness of my state that I currently live in. And did you throw a dart at a map in a pub in order to choose Scotland? Or is there something specific there? You are not an Anglophile, then. You are a, what, a, a Scotlophile? I guess that would I, be a Gaelophile. I don't know. Um, specifically in Scotland, there is uh, the University of Edinburgh and Edinburgh City in general, which is a place I would like to experience and live in. Which you have, a place to which you have never been. I have never been to Edinburgh, no. Have you ever been to uh, the United Kingdom? I have not. Have you ever been to uh, any, have you ever been to Canada? I have not been to Canada. Have you ever been outside of the United States? I have been to Mexico when I was approximately three years old. Doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) A three-year-old visit to Mexico doesn't count. Okay, so you want to leave the country for the first time ever. You want very specifically to go to to, to Edinburgh. And you want, uh, because you love the city and you want to go to that university, two things that you have never experienced firsthand. To what do you owe this fascination? By the way, I will say this. I have been to Edinburgh and it is great. I absolutely could see why a 17-year-old person from Wisconsin would want to study there. It would be fantastic. But I know that because I've been there at various stages of my life. You never have. What do you know about it, Callum? Well, uh, I do know that Edinburgh is listed as UNICEF's uh, first world city of literature, and I'm interested in writing. And I also know that Edinburgh is the site of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, which is uh, regarded as the best alternative performance festival in the world. And, well, I'm that, is, and in- that is exactly that is exactly where... Uh, Peter Cook and the and his uh, and Dudley Moore and Jonathan Miller and Alan Bennett began their their international careers was they they were called Beyond the Fringe because they were they were part of the the Fringe Festival, as well as uh, the careers of Sm- Spike Milligan and members of the Goon Show and Monty Python and various yeah. other. You really should have. You really should have gotten. You really should have gotten that Peter Cook reference, buddy. I should have given the given the names you're dropping now. <laughs> I kind of feel like he's just reading from a pamphlet that he wrote away for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So you love all the English comedians that uh, and and humorists and, and comic performers that got their start or or, or a, a boost in fame because of the Fringe, Stephen Fry included. What else? Uh. Edinburgh University or the University of Edinburgh has an excellent program for English and is regarded as one of the best in the world, mm-hmm. as well as uh, it being an excellent cultural center. It's also very old, and living in Burlington, Wisconsin, there isn't much of an old things thing here. Most stuff dates back less than 100 years, and it, it would be very interesting to me to live in a, uh, an area that has buildings and architecture going back a very long time. Uh, do you are you aware that there are other universities in the United States? There are cities and universities that are older and have great English departments. Yes, I'm aware of that. So why is it important for you to leave this country and go to another one? Uh, because, as far as I can tell, Edinburgh is the pretty much the place to be as far as learning to perform and write comedy and things of that nature. And specifically the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, uh, as, as long as you can raise the, the costs to the festival, you're allowed to perform there, which is uh, very 
a very good deal, first of all, and it's also a great experience for a future performance. So you would you would it. like you would like to be a comedy writer and performer, uh, or something of that nature. Callum, you know uh, that the people who perform in the Fringe Festival don't live year round in Edinburgh. <laughs> Right there. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> it's like it's like. Well, I really want to be an independent filmmaker. So, anyway, I'm moving to Sundance. <laughs> I think I think Jesse makes a, a strong argument. Uh, Will, can you also make a strong argument as to why Callum uh, should not uh, be allowed to do what he is considering doing? Oh, <laughs> uh, well. It's not so much not being allowed. I just want to get him to consider his options more carefully and thoroughly. Uh, for instance, he could study abroad there, certainly, and he would gain the same experience he would by going there. I think that's just a, a better and more reasonable option for him. I've asked Callum a couple of times why he wants to move to, to Scotland, and he's, tr he's worked very hard to convince me that this is a rational decision. Mm -hmm. um, uh, by by talking about the bona fides of the University of Edinburgh and the practical consideration of living in a place where there is an international festival of theater and and comedy, um, and that that's a, a practical concern for his future career, all of which is bogus, of course, because he yeah. doesn't know what he's talking about and he's never been there. Since he seems unable to make a, an irrational explanation for his or since he seems unable to make an emotional explanation for his irrational desire to go abroad, can you explain to me why he is so fascinated with Scotland? The, I can't explain to you why he's so fascinated with Scotland. I had considered him to be more fascinated with England and the UK. He is very into Doctor Who and uh, other British shows. I honestly didn't know that he was mostly considering Scotland. This is news to you. Correct. Yeah, I had just heard uh, England before when he was talking about it. And I think he mentioned the University of Cardiff as well before. Oh, sure. Well, that's that's where that's where the production offices of Doctor Who are. <laughs> that makes sense then. I think or some they have they have some Cardiff connection, do they not, Callum? What's the connection between Doctor Who and Cardiff Wales? Uh, you are correct. Doctor Who is uh, currently filmed and produced by BBC Wales, but that did not factor into my decision. The primary factor of my decision was, at the time, extremely irrational that the British indie-slash-punk band Los Campesinos all went to the University of Cardiff, and they described it as one of the best universities in the UK. However, um, upon further research, I discovered that it's... Pretty, it's like it's a very good university in the UK, but there isn't that much setting it apart from other things. And that the Edinburgh, the University of Edinburgh, is much more in line with my interests. Why have you not considered Oxford or Cambridge the true birthplace of the Monty Pythons and the Stephen Fries and the and the and the the um uh the 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 beyond the fringes and so on? I have considered uh, Cambridge and Oxford. But their entrance requirements are extremely stringent and uh, bank on a lot of tests and entrance exams. Uh, they're also more expensive than the University of Edinburgh. So a lot of it is uh, being realistic that I would likely not be able to get into the University of Oxford or Cambridge. And I feel I could probably get into the University of Edinburgh. 
Kim, may we may we just make a transcript of what you just said and send it to them as your college essay? <laughs> yes, yes, please. Uh, is what your brother says correct? Do you love British and UKish uh, media? I do, and 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 that therefore you want to go and be there in the, in the place that makes the things you love. Uh, that's definitely a factor in my decision. I'm also a large fan of the alternative comedy of the UK, like uh, for example, Stuart Lee is one of my favorite of comedians course. of all time. Of course, That's... an English comedian who has done uh, who who made a name for himself at the Edinburgh Fringe, and a, and a genius. I, I agree. Sure do hope he's, I, ho I sure do hope he's English because if you get these things wrong, everyone will murder you. <laughs> as is... far as I know, he might be well. Is he English? He's English, right? He is English, but he did a, a long uh, and possibly untrue stand-up routine about him discovering his adopted origins as being Scottish. Oh, so no. it's possible. Right. A, distin a distinction that that for many Americans would be uh, uh, minor, but f uh, for Scottish people and for English people, it is a major. Judge Hodgman, just imagine what it's like to grow up with a stepmother who herself grew up Catholic in Belfast, and you'll get a taste of how major the distinctions are. Of course. Yeah, I, I haven't even touched the 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 Irish troubles and and and, and nor do I think would one commonplace it would would one commonly uh, uh conflate uh the Irish experience with the English experience certainly not or uh, uh, but but I think the the conflation of England and Scotland and, and Wales is is oftentimes a, a little bit more a, a, a more common error but you are not making that error you are making the distinctions you have done your homework insofar as you have watched a lot of Doctor Who and you've listened to some bands and you, <laughs> you've you mentioned Stuart Lee. What else do you love? Uh, what else do I love? Um, I'm interested in British history and just, I guess, history in general. I'm interested in uh, various British authors. Uh, Such as? Let's see. Um... You shouldn't be doing this. If it's something you love, it should be really coming to mind. I know that you love the, the, the music of Los Campesinos, and I know that you love the comedy of Stuart Lee, because that's something you can't keep from, you can't keep away from mentioning. But now I feel like you're digging to get some, some more substantive stuff that you love, because that's somehow going to convince me more. If you're just having a mind fart, which is a, which is a colloquial rhyming slang for, for brain, brain flatulence, uh, you uh, and, and you and you can't remember the things you love because you're talking on a on a on a world on a world renowned podcast, which is listened to by the way by at least four or five people in the UK. Wow. Then that's fine. But but then then let's take one second and if if there if there's something you really love, tell me what it is. Besides comedy, comedy is enough. You understand? It certainly is enough yeah. for me. But is there other stuff that you really love? Tell me what you really love about Scotland, England, Wales, the whole UK experience. As far as English literature, I'm a pretty. I, I like Shakespeare a lot, but that's pretty. I didn't want to just say that because that sounds vaguely pretentious and sort of made up. I also like. Uh, I like Jane Eyre a lot. A lot of Victorian. Um, Novelists, Charles Dickens, 
and things of that nature. I like. It's a little. Um, it's a little Cockney rhyming slang that we call "pon le flows," which is to say, "on the nose." <laughs> you remind me of the kid that I that I went to college with, who 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 prided himself, who who really fancied himself a cineast, and and uh, and someone who who constructed his youthful personality. Look, we all sinned when we were your age. Don't worry, we all had affectations. I'll tell you mine in a minute. But but his was to construct an identity for himself of being a, a true cineast. And so he would wear his beret and wander up to people and say, do you like movies? And 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 I, having worked in an art house movie theater, had to admit to this guy, yes, I did, even though I did not want to get into this conversation. And I, and he was like, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, well, I don't know, The Third Man or whatever, because that's one of my favorite movies. It's a great movie. And 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 this and this poor guy would would say, "What kind of movies do you like?" He's like, "Well, I really like um, silent films, like Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I'm very interested in film noir, like Casablanca. Like every example that he that he had for the things that he loved was the most best known example. It made me really distrust that kid, as I distrust you, Callum. You know what, Judge Hodgman? I don't care what you say." I think the best movie ever made is Citizen Kane. Yeah, you know what? A passionate argument could be made. More but I'm not getting a, I'm not getting a lot of passion off of you here, Callum, and I'm I'm trying to wonder why it is. Let me ask Will. Will, why am I not getting passion off of Callum for this stuff? He's going to um, change his whole life and go to a place <laughs> he's never been before and he can barely stir up the the energy to say Stuart Lee to me. What's going on with your younger brother here? It could it could be nerves or exhaustion. He's very busy these days. I'm not sure. I I do believe that he is passionate though, and I can throw him a bone and say uh, I I am aware of some British literature that he really does like. I forget the author, but the book is called uh, Skippy Dies or something. That's one he was talking that, about a lot. That is an Irish book. Oh well, nice. I would get murdered. Nice then, catch, nice catch, Callum. I like that. Nice catch. More more examples. Too, uh, have come to mind. I'm a big fan of the works of uh, Neil Gaiman and Ellen Moore, who are two uh, graphic novelists from the UK. Um, I specifically like Neil Gaiman's Sandman series a lot. Yeah. yeah. Although that doesn't take place in the UK, but it takes Callum, place primarily in uh, the dreaming. You're aware you're that Neil Gaiman left the UK, right? Because Yes, yeah. but at the time that he was writing Sandman, he was living in the UK. Yeah, you know, Neil Gaiman has lived for the past many years in Wisconsin, actually. <laughs> did you know that? I did know that. <laughs> Do you ever see but him around town? The, the cultural background around the town of Wisconsin. Oh, he, cer he certainly has the accent. Can we just, you love the accent, right? It's, that's it. I'm not trying to put you down here. You're talking to a guy who is, we're the same. You think I didn't want to go study in England or Scotland when I was your age? Of course I did. Think I didn't watch Doctor Who and wear a long scarf all the time, and wear an overcoat and a fedora because I Doctor Who taught me that fashion-wise anything goes. The worst lesson I ever learned, of course. <laughs> <laughs> where do you think? Where do you think I heard that Peter Cook from? I was tw my mom was an Anglophile. It came to me genetically. Twelve years old, I was taken to London by my mom and dad because my dad got a. Uh, was going to a conference over there and my mom was obsessed with with England 
and I was fascinated too because I love the accent and I love I love the, the 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 travel that involves only the slightest cultural differences. <laughs> I, for some reason, that's it's more interesting to me that you have a different name for bus than an entire different worldview and language. And I immediately got sick. I got a terrible head cold and and flu actually, and I had to stay in bed in the flat that we had rented for the two weeks we were there or whatever. And all I did was watch British television. And as far as I was concerned, I was like, this is, this is why I came here. <laughs> Cause I loved British television. I loved Monty Python. I loved Benny Hill. That's how deep I rolled. Or I should say how, how little, how little standards I had when it came to anything with an accent attached to it. I watched the upstairs downstairs with my mom and dad. Weird only child growing up in Brookline, Massachusetts, large uh, public television, uh, 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 a large vibrant public television station. Of course, I loved England and Scotland and Wales and the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Two, two separate countries. Don't be mad at me. I've probably said something wrong there that people are going to get mad at me about. Yeah, that last part. And on the TV on comes comes this crazy guy sitting on a bench doing this monologue about he could have been a judge if he had the Latin, so instead he became a minor. It was years later that I figured out that that was Peter Cook that I had seen in that in that flat by myself as my parents went around to the British Museum and actually saw the actual country we're in. But it, obviously, it it attached itself to my brain because that character that Peter Cook did, E.L. Wistie, this deranged polymath, is the same character I've been doing for my entire adult career. And it was years later, even still, that I realized that the the villain in the series of Whitbread Best Bitters ads that I watched all the time to the point that I can still sort of hum the jingle was Stephen Fry. I didn't know that until I read uh, Stephen Fry's most recent memoir last year. This stuff is deep inside of me. And even more, Column, after several days, I actually went outside into the country. Not into the country, into the city of London. And not into the city of London. London. And then I also went to the city of London, which is different. That's how much I know about this. The city of London is the is the financial district. Uh, I would go back there. I just spent this morning telling Wyatt Sinek all the places that he should go in London because I love it so much. And I've been all through all through the Peak District and into Scotland. And I've been to the Isle of Skye. And, uh, uh, and I love it. I love it. You don't have to win me over. You just need to explain some of the passion that you feel in order for me to understand why it's not merely important that you visit this place, but that you go and, and, and for a period of time, spend a lot of money to make a life and education for yourself there. You feel me now? I feel you. Yeah, that's a British saying. You feel me, Governor? I feel you, Governor. All right. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join.
The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2020, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. So I'll ask you one more time, or I'll ask you a different question so that I'm not just browbeating you. Why go to university there instead of visit? Visit as in study abroad or visit as in go on a brief trip? Well, I mean, here's the thing. You want to go to the University of Edinburgh because it is cost effective, uh, because it has a great English program. And because it hosts, and because the the city of Edinburgh hosts the Edinburgh Festival and the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, um, and but what I'm really feeling is that you really want to be a part of that of that Fringe Festival. Why not save up some money and go this August to the to the festival and just and just blow your mind and see what it's like? Why commit to going to school there? Well. Um... As my brother actually mentioned before, airfare is not cheap. And uh, the last time 
I have personally been on a plane. I was nine years old and going to Los Angeles. Uh, mm -hmm. And I feel that going for a brief period of time by plane to Edinburgh to the French Festival would not be within the budget uh, of my family economically. And that um, as well as studying abroad there for a year, uh, if you would look at the evidence I submitted, uh, the one year studying abroad at the University of Edinburgh costs, and this is a uh, converted it from pounds, uh, 22,447.80 dollars. I said that mm -hmm. wrong, but you got the point. And mm -hmm. that is actually, uh, not, not any significant amount less than one year's total tuition at the University of Edinburgh. So, okay, let me, you send in this evidence and I, and I want to talk about money because this is, this is a real thing. So every first year tuition at University of Edinburgh, you quote $12,678.85 per semester. Yes. Every additional year of tuition, of tuition, if you are an enrolled student, is 11000 Okay. And, and then you quote one year studying abroad at University of Edinburgh. So if you were going to, if you were going to a college here in the United States and then you decide to do a year abroad at Edinburgh, you'd have to pay the yeah. same amount. So that's your argument for why you shouldn't do a study abroad program in Edinburgh, but it wouldn't be, just it wouldn't go be ahead like, and do it. It wouldn't be any more economically uh, advisable than, than going there for all four years, at least as it far would, as spend, spending one year. All right. I'm, I want to hear you out. And, 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 and by point of comparison, so that you're making two comparisons. One is that a year studying abroad there would cost the same as going as just going there as a student. Yes. A, 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 per year, per annum, uh, per per uh, per annum horribles. And then two, uh, you make a comparison to the tuition at Cornell University, an Ivy League institution in upstate New York. Uh, that that uh, a year uh, or a semester at Cornell is twenty three thousand five hundred twenty five dollars currently, and that's only going up, right? So it's yes. in fact going to Edinburgh. You make the argument would be uh, uh, less less expensive to you, correct? correct? Than going to Cornell, right? Am I reading all of your facts and figures correctly? Yes. All right. And how much would it cost for you to go to the University of Wisconsin at Madison? Will, uh, you, you know, obviously, because you obviously went there mm. and you continue to live there because you love Wisconsin and you love Madison. And why not? <laughs> They're great. I can, uh, yes, I can, I can tell you the cost. That would be, uh, per semester about under $5,000. That's okay. much less than going to Edinburgh. And since I don't, your argument that it's more cost effective to enroll there for four years than to study abroad for one year is just, that's completely illogical. It's like, saying it's more cost effective i don't know to go it's four times as expensive that's what it is <laughs> all right that, that's a fair point i should have mentioned that i'm balancing that out uh experientially so the cost it's it's cost effective like spending one year studying abroad is the same thing as uh a year there and i would like to go to the same uh attend the same university all, all four years and i feel like i, I, think I would studying... like to attend here's what you should do is blow everybody's mind you should go enroll at the University of Edinburgh and then take a year off to go study in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Switch <laughs> to the tables. A yeah, a reverse, a reverse school abroad. And when you show up at the University of Wisconsin, you have to talk with an accent and convince all the boys and girls there that you're actually from Scotland. Yeah, you have to live in the British student storm.
Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, that would probably get you murdered faster than calling Ireland the wrong Ireland. <laughs> uh, really, is Wisconsin is Wisconsin that touchy about people pretending to be from other countries and faking accents? <laughs> No, it's notorious, a, it's for notorious, it. notorious yeah. around here. It's a, it's an obnoxious affectation. That's, you know? that's the governor's now, new thing in Wisconsin. Will how much of how much of your how much of your uh, objection to Callum's desire to study abroad uh, uh, is due to his uh, obnoxious affectation? Uh, I don't think that he has any obnoxious affectations. Though, yeah. now. I just I, meant I, that if, if he was, if anybody, if anybody has accent. come, if anybody has come across. As affectless, it is Callum. Very soft <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't yeah. Uh, make any fronts. You know, he's not fronting. That's so a British you, phrase, right? Yes, yeah. it is. So, so yeah, I mean, like most people who are Anglophilic uh, or UKophilic, I suppose, uh, tend to be insufferable weirdos who <laughs> who who constantly are faking accents and constantly quoting Monty Python routines at length. The the most insufferable boobs that I've ever encountered in my in my uh, my collegiate life were those who could quote. Uh, it's one thing to be able to quote Monty Python sketches. It's another thing to force it upon other people. <sighs> At my wife's college, Bryn Mawr, there was a whole table of young women and who 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 got together every day at lunch in order to all talk in an Irish accent together. <laughs> Gross. Ugh. Man. The worst. The worst. <laughs> but, this, but I'm not getting this off of Callum at all. If Callum does go to college in Edinburgh, he could join the table of Scottish kids that fake American accents. I know he'd be the That's king. a good idea. He'd be the king of the fake uh, fake American accents. The king of the bottom of the barrel, I think. <sighs> yeah. Uh, Callum, when we're talking about price cost effectiveness, you understand that you're talking about not wanting to spend $1,500 on a trip to the UK or $2,000 on a trip to the UK uh, for for monetary reasons, but then deciding to spend 100000 on four <laughs> years of university there. Yes. Well, again, I'm balancing that out experientially because I feel I would, I would uh, obviously get, get more out of four years of uh, university than I would out, out of one week of attending the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I'm saying that you haven't, you haven't get, look, if I, I bought a car recently and I went to the dealership and test drove it, <laughs> you know, it cost tens of thousands of dollars. So I wanted to check it out first. And the car I don't have to live in for the next four years of my life. <laughs> Well, technically I do, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, but I think that we'll uh, go ahead. Respond, uh, you may respond to the bailiff. Okay, that's a good point. But I feel I've I've done enough like research uh, into the university, and I don't feel like there would honestly be like that much culture shock. Like they, we speak the same language, and we have really similar foundations to the culture. Well, it's it's and not it also it also shock. costs. Look, I You're... I grew up in San Francisco. I went to college ninety minutes away at the University of California at Santa Cruz, and I visited the campus first. But uh, the problem is that visiting the campus of the University of Edinburgh costs a large, like a very huge amount of money. Not unlike let's attending talk, that university. Let's talk about money for a second, because Will, 
I, I have faith. I thought that you were that you were bringing this case that you were going to be an older brother who was uh, upset and embarrassed by his younger brother's affectations, and that's clearly not what's going on. <laughs> no, not not exactly. So, what do you care about what your younger brother does with what I think is technically his life? It is technically his life, true. But I think uh, as you know, an, an older person with more experience—not that much older, not that much more experience—but some of each. Uh, I, I have a, a level of student debt that I would consider to be unpleasant, not the pleasant level of student debt. Um, so I would definitely, given my experience with like looking at how I'm going to have to pay that back for the next 50,000 years of my life or whatever that I would. Yeah, Cause there is, there is a level of student debt that, you know, it's not too much, not too little. It's kind of like you get a good buzz off of it. Right. <laughs> pleasant yeah, level. Like, yeah. What, what did you study at the University of Madison? I majored in political science and religious studies. So it may be 100,000 years that you're paying off this debt. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> depending on the circumstances. And what, are you, and what are you doing with your life currently in Madison? Uh, right now I'm between jobs, so I'm looking for a job. I had an interview this morning, actually. But what are you going to do with your life? I'm trying to figure that out currently. Do you I'm have not, a, do you have any goals whatsoever? Um yeah, I I do. Uh I in the future I'm thinking about going to graduate school for uh uh human computer interaction, working with computers, that sort of thing. I've heard that computers are a good way to go. Yeah, especially the especially in the way they interact with humans. There's something about that crazy relationship that just always <laughs> makes people excited. Remember when that legendary Scott, Scotty, picked up that mouse in Star Trek Four, and he's like, "Hello, computer, computer." computer. I know, but by the way, we we just we just went to the bottom of the class in our Scottish accent club. <laughs> Callum could do a pretty good Scottish. Can you do accent. it? Can you do Scotty saying "computer" into the into the computer mouse from uh, Star Trek I Three? The try. search for Spock, Callum. I don't have much experience with Scotty. I've watched a fairly small amount of Star Trek. Uh, if I were impersonating Scotty saying the word computer, I would do it. Wait, hold on, hold on, Col hold on. Saying the word computer into the bottom of a mouse. Into the bottom of a mouse. All right, I'll have to, let me get into character for that. That's um, Computer. All right, that's, yeah. that's my impression. That's what I've Fair. got. <laughs> You'll fit right in. Did <laughs> you think perform that at the fringe? Let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, Callum, who's footing the bills for your college education? Um, well, there are scholarships available at the University of Edinburgh. To uh, there are there is an eight thousand three hundred and fourteen dollar scholarship through the Principles in North America Undergraduate Scholarship Program. Uh, five of which are awarded to full time American students per year, and there are uh, is a three thousand three hundred and twenty five dollar and 60 cent scholarship through the Edinburgh Global Undergraduate Scholarship, so which is a minimum. If you got both of those, are those repeating scholarships or one-time scholarships? Uh, that was ambiguous. There, you could, I, I would assume you could apply I bet for them it's again. not ambiguous to them. <laughs> it's not, it is, it is ambiguous they, to me. I think they think they're being pretty clear. It may be that you're not aware of it. But at, at what we're talking about essentially is that if you got both of those scholarships, one of which is awarded to only five students from the United States per year, you would end up making about one semester's worth of tuition. 
And yes. the balance would have to be paid by someone who's going to pay for it. Um, I would probably take loans. Uh, I looked at that you, you take direct loans from the United States government if you're uh, an American student studying full time at the Edinburgh, the University of Edinburgh. All right. I, I'm, I appreciate that you've done some homework, but one way or another, if if you go to the University of Edinburgh, you are planning to make your own way, either by getting scholarships or getting scholarships and combining them with loans that you take from Barack Obama personally. Yes. And that you would not pass this burden on to your family. Are your parents alive? Yes. And uh, And have they saved money for your college education? Are you going to take any of that there's, money? Yeah, there, there's a... There's an amount of money set aside. It's obviously not enough to cover the entire thing. Um, but I would do that. I would use that money, and I would also uh, take out loans and work to pay off the remainder of my debt. You've come up with a lot of facts and figures, and you certainly have read and and seen some TV shows. You've read some books and seen some TV shows. But what possible... What, what is the compelling reason for not visiting the place that you're considering spending the entire rest of your life? Is it expense? Um, it's pretty much expense. I would like to, I would, I'm not opposed to visiting Edinburgh personally, but I doubt it's something that would, that would like happen. You know that you have to buy a plane ticket to get there to go to college, right? Yeah, but I figure if I'm going there, that's pretty okay, much. If you guys are talking, I can't hear you anymore. Um, Okay, there, I got something. That was an um. Can, can you hear this? <laughs> All right, I heard... Sorry, Mark McConville. Uh, so where, the, where I last heard was Jesse Thorne saying, you know you have to buy a plane ticket and then something else. So can we pick it up Okay, from I'm going to say that again. Yeah. You know you have to buy a plane ticket in order to go to college there, right? Yes, uh, that's true. But I would assume that... If I was attending college there, a plane ticket would be something that would, like, it's, it's a necessity as opposed to something that isn't. So it would be like, provided to you by the universe? No, it would be provided, provided by me to the universe. Just as long as you don't kickstart it. Just as long as you don't kickstart it, I'm okay. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but, uh, no, but I think, Jesse, his argument would be that if he, if he goes tomorrow to Scotland for the rest of his life, the price of the, the ticket would be amortized over the rest of his life as opposed to the 25 days he might spend at the Edinburgh Fringe, which would be incredibly wasteful. Plus, he'd have to buy a ticket back. You see what I mean? No, because I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, no, I agree I, with Jesse. You can, I, I, you can, I agree with... You I can visit somewhere and then later go to college there. Yeah, but then you're paying twice as much to get there, Jesse. That's a good point. See, now you're making sense, Judge Hodgman. Don't you understand the math that Callum is doing here? Like, let's say he spends, gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the outside, like $5,000, which is a lot of money, probably much more than you would need to get a steerage ticket to Edinburgh via aeroplane. And then to put yourself up in some place in a hostel or something in Edinburgh and go to see the fringe and spend the month of August there when he is doing nothing else anyway, because he is a student. But let's say it was $5,000. 
don't you appreciate, Jesse, that that's $5,000 that he is just flushing down the toilet? Whereas if he spends $100,000 going to college there, whether or not he likes it, that's more money? Wait, I don't understand it either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a cockamamie scheme. Uh, well, uh, cockamamie cockney scheme, yes. I, Callum, you're, you are about to become a legal adult. So essentially, if I find in your favor, all you could possibly ask is let me make my own decisions, correct? Yes. All right. Uh, Will, if I find in your favor, what would you want me to order Callum? Given the fact that I can't order him to do it, it's his life. He can do whatever he wants. Sure, sure. Uh, what I'm looking for is ordered him to carefully weigh the costs of whether or not he's going to be able to actually spend his life in, in Scotland after graduating, which is not a, a given. There's a good chance he wouldn't. There's a good chance that he wouldn't like it as much as he thinks he would either and would uh, end up returning to the United States anyway. I think a good compromise is that he should travel there after he graduates college, or sorry, high school. He should travel there during the summer after he graduates high school, and that he should study abroad there if he likes the trip there. And I think that uh, doing it that way is, is a much more safe and reasonable investment of money, and I think it, it would work out. I think that my parents would agree to that. And, and you're suggesting that they might pay for the cost of the trip. Yeah, I think there is a good chance that they would, or at least significantly help him out. Callum, do you have a job? I do not yet, but I was planning to apply for some because I just finished uh, the musical that I was in during the school year. Uh, and so, uh, like a part-time job? Yes. Like, something okay. like that I was do you have any? Do you have any savings of your own? Uh, not really much. Yeah, you have some savings. We both yeah, have I guess. savings. I guess, well, what, yeah. But savings that you, of money that you have earned and put into a bank account or savings that like a, a, a great granduncle died and gave you a, yeah, a savings that, bond? That, that one, pretty much. Which one? The second one. You murdered your granduncle? I murdered my granduncle. Yep. With the aid of my brother. Which, which okay. Uh, all right. I think I've heard everything I need to. I am now going to take a 747 first class to my chambers, uh, and I will run some numbers and consider some thoughts, and I will be back to you in a moment with my decision. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Callum, does your high school have a college club or some other similar organization that raises money through bake sales and such? to go on a college trip to various places where colleges are highly concentrated, like the American Northeast, and check them out, see what different campuses are like? Uh, not that I'm aware of. It's possible, but I haven't heard anything of that, and I think I would have if there was. I think the closest thing that Burlington has is like a group of guys that uh, park their trucks close together <laughs> and beep their horns at people that drive past. That's that's basically that's what we've got. Um. I'm just so gobsmacked by this whole scheme. It's so ambitious <laughs> and so underconsidered, Callum. <laughs> Look, my, my cousin is from New Jersey, went to the University of Edinburgh because, um, among other things, she could get dual citizenship if she went to the University of Edinburgh, and she loved it. And I've been to Edinburgh, and it's a beautiful place. 
but I, I wonder if you might benefit from just going somewhere that's not where you live before you go to an entire other country for four years. Okay, yeah, I can, I can see your point, and that's something that I would definitely consider. Well, how do you feel when you hear Callum uh, spin out these cockamamie schemes? Um, I just think that uh, he's he's not uh, taking all of his options into consideration. He's a very smart kid and could probably get into anywhere he wanted. I think he's underselling himself by saying he wouldn't get into Oxford. Yeah, I, I just know that uh, when I was his age, there were... I, I don't know. You, you don't know everything when you're young. Yeah, you and you don't know everything until how old are you, Will? Uh, well, twenty-four. Yeah, I don't know so you're gonna be everything. at least twenty-four to know everything. I know maybe twenty-four things. I think you learn one thing a year. <laughs> I'm up to seventeen. I think that's a pretty that's a pretty solid number of things that I know. Seventeen. <laughs> no, I know seven more than you do. That's yeah, but like I mean, thirty-three percent. But what things are they? Is the real question. <laughs> Uh, definitely things that you don't know about. Well, clearly, the scope clearly, of yes. your experience. Callum, here's my question to you. Bottom line. When it's week 10 of you living in a cold, dreary, cobblestony country <laughs> where everyone understands the world completely different from you and you don't have any friends yet, and you can't afford to fly home for Thanksgiving, will you still be happy with your decision to commit yourself to four years in a foreign country? Uh, well, I already live in a cold and dreary place, and the cold and dreariness doesn't particularly bother me much here. Wisconsin's not dreary during the summer, though. That's true. It's unforgivingly hot and humid. How about when you find out that everybody is like Magnus from Rushmore? <laughs> yeah. That seems slightly unlikely to me, I guess. I can't imagine the entire country of Scotland being populated exclusively by people who are like Magnus from Rushmore. See, now you're thinking straight. That's fair <laughs> thinking. Well, boys, I can't decide this one for you. Only Judge John Hodgman can decide. We'll find out what he has to say when we come back in just a second. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. You may be seated. So there is something in Callum that you want to admire and that you do admire. And by you, I mean all humans within the sound of my voice and me. Because Callum knows what he wants. And though he is uh, having a hard time speaking passionately about it, I don't doubt that he is passionate in his interest in going to Edinburgh, living in Edinburgh, his love for British comedy, and his interest to pursue some career in that realm. I know that he's passionate about it because he just consistently refuses to see the utter illogic in what he's proposing. <laughs> and yet it's better, I think, and more appropriate to his age than the sad state of his older brother, Will, <laughs> who, went to, who went to a great university, the University of uh, Wisconsin at Madison, and studied political science and religious Gugaws or something. What was it? Religious studies? Yeah. yeah. Right. And when I put to him, well, what do you want to do with your life? There was a long pause and he just said, I'm between jobs. <laughs> you know, your, your biggest amb ambition is eventually to go to graduate school. And so it is understandable that you would look at this mad scheme and think first of what its cost would be, both financially and uh, emotionally, if it doesn't work out the way young Callum hopes that it will. Because you are in a situation that, and I don't put this on you specifically, Will, you sound like a very smart guy, and I know things are going to work out. But you're in a situation that a lot of college graduates are in right now, where they have invested a lot of time and a lot of money uh, in the form of loans and personal savings and parental savings into a degree which is not serving them particularly well right now. Mm -hmm. Do I mistake, do I overstate the case, Will? No, no, I, I totally agree with that. As Spike Milligan said on the uh, Goon Show, it's hard out there for a college graduate these days. And so it is reasonable and rational. Hmm? Will, for you to be skeptical and uh, perhaps a little gun-shy on your brother's behalf about not merely the investment of money, but the investment of life that he is, that he is rather casually uh, thinking of making by moving to Edinburgh uh, and paying for an expensive university there, having never been there once before in his life for four years and to hear Callum tell it, probably for the rest of his life. How he would manage to stay in the United Kingdom, 
legally beyond university it remains to be seen. He would have to find some man or woman to marry, I think, or be hired or become such a huge talent that the U, uh, a UK production company would hire him. They would have to prove to, to the government that he is an irreplaceable talent and that no UK citizen uh, is is available or 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 comparable to the talent that he can give it's a huge undertaking to be to work in another country um longer than a student visa would allow uh, and he has to go head to head against them against each citizen to prove that right i know it's it's an amazing, it's it's an incredible thing it happens in september in edinburgh i believe <laughs> Where, where people who are applying, foreign nationals who are applying for jobs in the arts, uh, fight every citizen of the UK. <laughs> it's a weird month. That's a, another one of their festivals, you know? Yeah. And you know what? And you know what? Callum will lose in a fight because some of those people are Scottish and some of those people are Magnus from Rushmore. <laughs> Callum sits there and goes, yeah, well, I'm sure that they're not all Magnus from Rushmore. And guess what? You're right. But a lot of them are. And what do you know? You've never been there. You know, you, you are not in a position to say what the Scottish people are or are not like, or what the citizens of Edinburgh are or are not like. You've never been there. And the thing is, Callum, you are, you're taking the right steps. You're trying to approach this rationally. You're trying to price it out. You're trying to figure out how it compares to schooling in other in other states of the United States. You're trying to amortize the cost of your plane ticket across the lifetime of happiness that you will lead in Edinburgh, uh, a place that you've never been. Um, you're trying to justify this particular uh, jaunt uh, within the context of a desire to work within the field of comedy in some way. Um, and all of that feels rational to you. And it's not your fault that you're doing the math all wrong because you're 17 and it's not your money and you want what you want. You want to go there. You want to go there. And I don't blame you. You should go. You absolutely should go. I understand there's something, um, uh, uh, crazy admirable about your all or nothing position, but there is such a thing as some, and sometimes investing money, even a good chunk of change, maybe more money than you think is uh, reasonable to spend on a thing like a, what you call vacation, right? Uh, it, it is actually a better investment than investing a lot more money in something that seems more practical right? If you're making a choice, now I ran these numbers, just going off of what I could figure out. And I'm, I bet there are a lot of ways you could cut corners here. You could get, you could go Airbnb for the month of August in Edinburgh, the entire month from, from the whole, the whole length of the fringe from the first to the 21st for $2,100 on Airbnb. And you can get over there from Chicago, which I think is probably your best bet. Uh, to, to Edinburgh, uh, 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 economy, not small money, but that's $1,300. 
So 13 plus 21 is $3,400. So I wasn't that far off, right? You, then it's expensive over there. And you're going to need to eat and drink and so on. So, and then you're going to be there for three weeks. So let's say to just to give yourself some breathing room, you spend $5,000 on a month at the Edinburgh Fringe, a thing that you have read about and heard about and dreamed about, but have never seen. That $5,000 investment in seeing that thing is not throwing money out the window. Rather, it is a chance to immerse yourself in a culture that you're interested in, that you're thinking about making a life in, that you get to see with real eyes uh, what it is like in Edinburgh and what the fringe is. It would still be valuable to spend that $5,000 because of all of the people that you would meet there and all of the people that you would uh, that you would interact with and all of the acts that you would see. And you wouldn't be quoting to me uh, uh, the names of your favorite comedians from, you know, the fringe from 5, 10, 15, 25, 35 years ago, you would be witnessing the comedians who are going to be important on the world stage 5, 10, 15, 25 years from now. And when you want to pursue a career in the arts, the number one thing to do is, first of all, go to the place where it's happening. Go into the place where it's being made. Go to the place where you, uh, the people who are going to inspire you and challenge you, who are your peers, who are your same age, are going to become your colleagues and your rivals and your bitter enemies and your best friends and your nemeses. You know, I started out wanting to be a writer of short stories, and I am very glad that I did not end up going to get a, a graduate degree uh, in short story writing. Because there's there's so little money in short story writing to begin with, I didn't realize that what you're really paying for when you get an MFA is simply the chance to be around people who are also working on the thing that you like to work on, to get their feedback, uh, to maybe kiss them sloppily once or twice, um, and to hear from professors who are really embittered and maybe brilliant. But that's a huge investment of of, of money to spend just working in the field that you want to work in around people who are one who are working in it when you could just for example go and live and get a job in new york where people are also writing short stories and particularly if you want to be involved in comedy all you need to do for your purpose the most practical thing you can do for the purpose of your career is to go to a place where they're making comedy in edinburgh in august is not a place where they're making comedy. That's a place where they are showing comedy. But because you are so interested in Edinburgh, in the city, in, 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 and you're thinking about making a life for yourself there, and you're interested in comedy, to me, that five grand, that's an easy sell to any adult who has children. It's an easy sell. And if I, if I were your mom or dad and I had the means to fund part of that, I would do it. Because the alternative is that you spend $100,000 in debt going to a school that you have no idea if it's right for you or not, in a place that you don't even know if you like it or not. You have the right idea in the sense that the point of college is not to go insulate yourself in some kind of half-baked summer camp at a keg party for four years, having a great time, and then coming out of it going, well, what am I going to do? The point of college is to get away from home and see the world. And in many ways, college isn't worth it. College isn't worth the money of going out into the world and making an investment in travel 
and uh, and uh, and cultural exposure and uh, and work, hard work, particularly if it's in a field that there really is no degree that will guarantee you a job, and that means the arts. And before all of you tell me that I'm telling your kids not to go to college, I'm not saying that. But after reading the cover story in The Atlantic uh, this month by Clayton Flanagan about fraternities, I definitely think it's worth, I am having second thoughts about how much college is worth these days. Think of it like your plane ticket to Edinburgh. It's just the cost of doing business. For a person who feels a compulsion to do a thing, Going and actually doing the thing rather than coming up with some weird spreadsheet that will kind of get you over there uh, under the auspices of a, of a respectable English degree in order for you to go to the fringe when you wouldn't even be in college anyway. Forget it. Don't, 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 don't go the long way around. Figure out what it is you want to do and do it. And I also think that you shouldn't ask your mom and dad for the money. I think you should at least try to come up with as much of that five grand as it would take before August uh, and then go to them and say, can you give me the rest or can you give me, and, and ideally maybe the rest would be zero. I don't know what, I don't know what, uh, what they're paying at the Papa John's pizza in Wisconsin these days or whatever. Maybe it's gotta be for, for next August, the August after your senior year. Maybe you want to take a year off to figure out what you want to do before you even apply to college. I think you're right to be thinking about what you want to be doing. Uh, and I think you're right to be thinking about the money. Um, but I think that truthfully investing in a little bit of real world experience for yourself in the area that you are uh, most interested in is a much more solid investment than committing to four years of tuition at a university in a city that you've never been and plan to never see apparently even before you go. And believe me, if you go to Edinburgh and love it as much as you think you are going to love it, and you decide that you were right all along and you do want to go to college there, that five grand that you spent that summer before you went, forget it. That's a drop in the bucket of money that you will happily owe for the rest of your life because you made the right decision. But if you go there and you made the wrong decision, then you just got to start all over again. So even though it is none of my business and you will be a legal adult and you can do whatever you want, I'm going to, and certainly none of your older brother's dumb business. I am going to find in his favor, I order you to go to the place you're thinking about going to college, wherever it may be, before you sign up to go to college there. You know, my transition from being an Anglophile to being a real human being was when I stepped out of that apartment where I'd been watching Peter Cook and Stephen Fry television advertisements all that time. When I got better and got over my head cold and went out into London and saw the place for itself. I love it. I love London. I thought about going to college there, but I decided not to because ultimately I realized that if I want to be a writer and creative person, I have to be authentic to the world that I am actually from and not put on the guise of a world, of a fantasy world that doesn't really exist. That's just a real place where people live. That's all it is. It's not better. And so I decided to come back home. And when I realized, when I heard that uh, Yale College was uh, constructed by burying huge swaths of the roof under the earth for 25 years to age it to look like Oxford. I'm like, this is a, this is a place of artifice that I can understand. <laughs> um, so though, so it, it, you, I will not judge you if you decide to go and become a Scotsman or a, a UK denizen or a, or a Maltese person for the rest of your life. Some people are just born to be expatriates. Um, but I would say that you gotta, you gotta get out to the place where you want to be to really make sure that that's what you want to do. And 
to fuel your passion for it further, if that's the case. I find in favor of the older brother. This is the sound of a gavel. Judge Sean Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge Sean Hodgman exits the courtroom. Callum, how do you feel? I feel uh, really good about the order, actually. I think a lot of uh, great points were raised against me, which is always a good thing to hear logical arguments about what you irrationally believe. And I think that uh, Judge John Hodgman made an excellent and very fair verdict. Will, how do you feel? I feel that that's a good decision and some good guidance, you know, both something to think about for Callum and myself, to be honest. Callum, you think you might stop in London? Uh, well, if I'm in the UK, probably something along those lines. I mean, catch a train, right? You can just catch a train down. Yeah. You can just walk there, right? It's like 15 minutes. <laughs> 15 walking. to 20. I would say probably 20 minutes. Those Brits are always walking around with their fancy canes too, right? I don't think either of you. I don't think either of you guys has a really sophisticated understanding of the situation on the ground. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Callum, Will, uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, you should fly to London and take a train. You'd have a great time. Man, that train is great. I've ridden that train. It was a blast. And here's the other thing, Callum. Yeah. Are you still there? When you go. Yes. When you go to Scotland, uh, when you go, when you go, make sure you spend some time or you, you break off some time so that you can uh, go a few hours outside of uh, Edinburgh to Loch Ness. You may have heard of it from the monster. Yeah. And, and stay at the Benleva Hotel and drink some of its proprietary Loch Ness Brewery brewed beer brewed with uh with care and consideration uh by Stephen Crossland the proprietor of the Benleva Hotel in Scotland that i think is a life worth living you will just want to work there for the rest of your life and i bet you he'd let you do it you're going to have a great time but you just got to get there get there first and and enjoy it and then come back and go is this where i want to spend the rest of my life okay okay that's all okay. i can say cool cool Cool, cool. All right. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. Pip, pip, cheerio. Oh, hey, Jesse, I didn't see you there. Yeah, I was here to clear the docket, but I'm really enjoying this concert. Yeah, I was just, uh, I, you know, you know how I'm always working on a new national anthem for Scotland? Yeah, I do. I've noticed that. That's like one of your favorite hobbies. That yeah, they m- don't models. think they need one, but I'm pretty sure they do. Yeah. Um, what, what's that one called? Something about thistles? Oh, Scotland, land of thistles and haggis and the other thing. Loch Ness Monster. Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> ben Leva Hotel, boy, oh boy. Um, here is a case from Richard. In a recent conversation with my friend Hector, who's from London, we discussed the show QI, which we both love. Me too. I think, hey, me too. Hey, everybody loves the show QI or Quite Interesting, British panel show. 
I think an American version should be created, and the best host would be Steve Martin because of his wit, intelligence, and his wide berth of experience in art, film, and banjo. However, Hector immediately dismissed the idea because A, Stephen Fry, the host of the British QI, is a national treasure in England, much more so than Steve Martin in America, and B, he suggested that Americans had an inherent dislike of intelligent artists and intelligent people in general, citing that in most American stories, the hero is the scrappy underdog with street smarts rather than book smarts. I would like to request a ruling on the following. A. Would Steve Martin be a suitable substitute for Stephen Fry in a hypothetical American version of QI? And if not, who would be some of your recommendations? And B. Do Americans have an inherent distrust of intelligent people? As someone who appeared on the wonderfully witty QI yourself, I would love to hear your verdict on the issue. I did appear on the wonderfully witty QI in the year 2009 in their, in their G-Animals episode. That is to say, giraffes, skulls, and other G animals that I can't think of now. Gophers, I suppose. You sure are witty and wonderful with that ready list of G animals. Well, that basically represents my entire appearance on GI. I'm basically being flummoxed GI. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually was lucky enough to appear on GI, which is a stage presentation at gastrointestinal doctors' conferences. <laughs> Yeah, um, Americans are much more interested in, in that, I think. Uh, it does sort of, though, embody my appearance on QI, which was mostly speechless and flummoxed by the quickness of the panelists and the charm of Stephen Fry. The reality is that there is no other host of QI, and there shall never be, and nor should there be. Stephen Fry is such a marvelous host of QI, and... It would be beloved as the host of an American version if there were such a one. Nothing against Steve Martin. Hector is uh, uh, wrong on both points. I would say that Steve Martin is a national treasure of comedy and culture in the United States. Uh, and uh, clearly Americans uh, do not have an inherent dislike of intelligent artists because Steve Martin is super duper intelligent. And he is liked, so liked that he that he's liked even when he's doing his dumb stuff. Uh, so uh, Hector is wrong on both A and B, but the overall effect is that he's absolutely right. That it would be there would be no reason for Steve Martin to host a QI when uh, Stephen Fry is alive, and I think inclined to do it. The real problem is that most television networks believe that American humans would not like QI because it is not dumb enough. And that, I think, is the gross criminality of most network programming, is that it's, it's underestimation of, the, of, of viewers. What do you think, Jesse? Oh, boy. You know, I, th I think you're absolutely right that it would, it would be pretty much impossible to top Stephen Fry as the host of that program. And honestly, I think Steve Martin would be a poor choice as host of that program because while he is one of our most intelligent comedians and every bit as beloved, if not more beloved than Stephen Fry, um, he lacks a certain conviviality. Yeah, Stephen Fry likes human beings. Yes, exactly. 
I say that that's one of the Steve one Martin, of the things that makes him su- such a great. Without without any further comment, let's just say the fact that Stephen Fry actually likes human beings or is willing to pretend as much when necessary makes him a very good host for that show. Would it be possible to do an American version of QI where the panelists were two magic tricks and two banjos? <laughs> yes, that would that would work. I think that an American QI wouldn't work without Stephen Fry too, because um, all, all uh, the the very Britishness of Stephen Fry would make it interesting. Uh, in a way that having an American, it would just be a, a a a dumb quiz show, and it would just sort of fall by by the wayside. You have one of the greatest talents in the world who also happens to bring a very British quality to the show. I think that's what would make it interesting. Can I? Otherwise, I think it would just l- lose in the translation. The only person I can think of off the top of my head, besides, of course, my friend John Hodgman, who would be an American suitable talent-wise, if not reputation-wise, to do a job like this would be our mutual friend Paul F. Tompkins. Paul F. Paul F. Tompkins would do a wonderful job. Paul F. Tompkins needs his own TV show and, I believe, is shooting a pilot for his own TV show. He currently has his own TV show on... You know what, Jesse? I stand corrected. He already has a show of his own, does he not? He does. It's called No You Shut Up, and it's on the Fusion Network. In which he debates issues of the day with uh, puppets from the Henson Workshop. Yeah, I forgive you for not knowing that right off the top of your head, Judge Hodgman. It's targeted at millennials. It's also uh, was uh, created by uh, my old friend uh, David DJ Javerbaum, uh, former executive producer of The Daily Show, current tweeter as God on at the tweet of God. And there's no dot com there. It's a it's a Twitter handle. Very funny guy. Here's a case from Karen. My husband, Diego, is originally from Colombia. We've been married for four years for more than a year. Diego has been performing magic tricks everywhere we go. His number one trick is a flaming wallet. It doesn't matter where we are, paying for our groceries in an elevator full of people and a friendly conversation with police. Diego will take out his wallet and act like he's going to pay for something or get a business card. Instead, he will use the sparking mechanism hidden inside the wallet to set the wallet on fire. The people often react in a startled fashion, although most do end up laughing. A small number don't seem to find it that funny. The amazing thing is that many people warm up to this trick and want him to do it again. The dispute lies in the fact that, as his wife, I have to see this trick just about every day. I have to hear him set up the trick with his verbal patter and charming Colombian accent. There are many tricks he does over and over. They're new to most people, but I'm watching them for the thousandth time. Judge Hodgman, I know it's too much to ask Diego to stop to stop something that gives him and most of the people he springs this on a lot of pleasure. I'm asking that you award me damages for always having to be in the background while he basks in the spotlight. I ask that he clean up a considerable mess in our apartment. When we first moved in together, he moved mountains of clothing and stuff from an old storage space into our apartment and has done very little to get rid of or organize anything. Will you order him to clean it up if I must watch these tricks for the millionth time? Uh, absolutely so ordered. Uh, he should be cleaning up that mess, regardless of his propensity for tricking people. And I will go further. I will order him to take it easy on the burning wallet trick. Because that's not a magic trick. That is just, that's a gimmick. 
ask Diego how he would feel if he were standing in an elevator and someone opened up to speak of Paul F. Tompkins a can of peanut brittle, the most common snack in the world, and shot a couple of snakes at him. He would be annoyed by it, and the people would be annoyed by it. I'm sure he does a great patter, but all he's doing is a little, he's not doing some close-up card tricks or anything. He's just doing a fake fire thing. Easy does it, buddy. Someday you're going to get punched. So I absolutely order him to take it down a thousand with the flaming wallet trick. And, it, and the way for him to do that is to simply not do it in front of you and clean up his mess and prepare to be the Alan Davies on the Steve Martin all magic and banjo version of QI. <laughs> and, by the way, go buy Paul F. Tompkins' album Impersonal to catch the reference I made to the peanut brittle uh, snakes in a can peanut brittle gag, which is still... Of the many, many Paul F. Tompkins things that I've heard, it is up there with the one-legged Tarzan sketch by Peter Cook and Dudley Moore as being one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. As good as it gets. This week's show was named by Sarah Green. Our producer is Julia Smith. Our editor is Mark McConville. Thanks to all of Thanks, them. Thanks, guys. Now, normally, Jesse, this would be the part of the uh, podcast where I try to sell all you people on my live appearances by going to johnhodgman.com slash tour. But we have a more important thing to talk about now. Yeah, that's the Max Fun Drive. Hashtag it. Max Fun Drive. Hashtag Max Fun Drive. Did I hashtag Once, it by saying that? I think so. Okay, good. Once a year, we do this for 11 days this year, March 17th through March 28th. We try and do it in a fun way. Uh, we goof around. We have all kinds of silly stuff. Me and Jordan are doing a live Jordan Jesse Go on the 28th that you can watch for free online at MaximumFun.org. Um, the reason that we do it on the show is because we know that if you're listening, you care. You care enough to have gone into your iTunes or your Stitcher or your other podcatcher and clicked on subscribe. We know that you're listening when you don't have to be when we're doing a pledge break. We know that you give a hoot, and we want to ask you directly, if you do give a hoot, give us a couple bucks for the show. Exactly. All we're asking is a hoot plus $5 a month, or yeah. a hoot plus $10 a month, or if you can afford more, more. It starts with a hoot, and then is a very reasonable monthly donation to make you a member of MaximumFun.org to support the shows that you love and to continue to hear them so that we don't have to turn the lights off. Exactly. We're, we're really proud of sharing this show with you. Um, and we're really proud that it's supported by folks like you. But we need your help personally. So go to MaximumFun.org slash donate now and just take care of business. Get up off your duff. Take care of business. TCB, folks. TCB. Um, and our sincere and heartfelt thanks to the literally thousands of people who support MaximumFun.org through donations. It is such an honor to be making this show for you. Um, and I, I know I, I feel grateful for it every single day of my life. You know, Jesse, I just want to say, when I started doing this podcast, I, I didn't really appreciate how much it was going to come to mean to me. I wanted an opportunity to work with you, Jesse. I wanted an opportunity to uh, to speak directly to an audience uh, in, in a way that podcasts uh, can. 
And uh, I wanted an opportunity to speak in my own voice and, and not, not do a phony um, resident expert voice uh, or, or be beholden to write a, another list of 700 hobo names every year. I love doing those things, but I also like just talking to people. And the people that I've been talking to over the past three years are some of the most amazing and interesting and funny and lovely and uh, people that, that, I've, uh, that I've had the chance to never meet but speak to via internet. Um, uh, they're voices that you don't hear anywhere else that I don't hear anywhere else. And, and the, the, the appreciation that I've felt from people as I've traveled around the country doing shows for this podcast has been really one of the most meaningful things in my creative life. And and I'm not saying this in order to, to, to make you feel as weepy as I do. Uh, but in order to say, I want to keep doing it, your appreciation of it is enough for me but it won't keep the lights on here. So if you have the opportunity to give back uh, whatever you think the show is worth to you, uh, it would mean a lot. That's all I have to say about that. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. I can't even say it. I'm just choked up. I'll say it for you, Judge. MaximumFun.org slash donate. And I couldn't have said it better myself. We'll talk to you guys next week on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Bye-bye. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.